Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. All right, anybody excited to get in the Word today? If you have your Bible, come on, raise it up. I want to see if you have your Bible. If you have your Bible, raise it up. We love the Word of God. Come on, that's your sword. Amen. All right, put it down. Hey, if you don't have a physical Bible, raise your hand because our ushers are going to bring you one right now. We want you to have one in your hand because we're getting into First Peter. Raise your hand real quick. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's okay. The cameras are watching, so we know who you are. Um, but what I want to do is I want to put a Bible in your hand if we can. I think, I think we should have enough. If you have your own Bible at home, you just didn't bring it with you. After, after this message, just leave it on your chair when you leave, and our ushers will pick it up. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to keep it. Because uh, uh, we want you to have God's word. Amen? Um, I th- there's a few people who still have their hands up in the back if our ushers can keep an eye on them. Um, let's open up to 1 Peter, everybody. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Um, our ushers are doing as fast as they can. We need more ushers. By the way, do the growth track and help us serve. Uh, we need more people on all the teams making a difference. There's a few more hands. Ujieres ushers up in the front over here. They're coming. They're coming. Maybe our team, we can have more people ready for the next services. Um, all right, so First Peter, question, Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament. New Testament. Last week, we talked about this. We opened up our, uh, our first message of the series talking about the book of First Peter. It's not a trick question. Who wrote the book of First Peter? <laughs> Peter. <laughs> all right, that was, that was kind of like, I'm not sure, but I think it's Peter. Um, all right, Peter, Peter. Peter wrote the book of First Peter. Um, there's two books, First and Second Peter. These are towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, last week, we specifically spoke about hope. Everybody say hope. Uh, we spoke about the fact that we have a living hope in First Peter 1. It talks about that. And our hope as Christians is much different than the hope of this world. Can I get an amen? Our hope as Christians is different than the hope of this world because it is a living hope. And everything, every time Peter talks about this hope, he specifically attaches it or connects it to the bedrock of the resurrection of Jesus. So our hope as Christians is directly connected to the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Book of 1 Peter, did you open there? By the way, my goal as a pastor is for you not to just know how to click on 1 Peter, but know how to open to it. Does that make sense? So that's why I love that we have our physical Bibles. For those of you who are like, you know, Christian veterans, been here for a long time, and you're like, this is so old school. Be a good example, and let's model it, because a lot of new people don't don't know. They really don't know. They're like, why is there the name of a person and then dot, dot, and a number? Well, that's the name of the book. Like in this case, 1 Peter, which is named after the writer of the book. And then the chapter, if it's chapter 1, and then if it's verse 10, then 1, dot, dot, colon, (laughs) 10. We always assume that people that are in church know what the Bible is and how to use it, uh, but we no longer make that assumption because there's new people every single Sunday. And by the way, by the way, there's people who've been in church years and have never opened it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I want us to know every, every step that we take, we can continue growing. And I don't, have to be, I don't have to feel bad about what I don't know, but I can feel better about what I'm learning. Amen? So we want to grow and learn about God's word today. <clears throat> we're continuing on First Peter. Last week was hope. Today, the message of today's title is integrity. Come on, give somebody a strong elbow. Tell them integrity. Integrity. And I, and I want to start off with reading these two verses. First Peter chapter 2. And let's go to verses 11 and 12, okay? I want to read these two verses and then and tell you something that just came to my mind this week as I was preparing. 1 Peter chapter 2. By the way, it, when you open the book of 1 Peter, you're going to see a big one. That will be chapter 1. Then a bunch of verses that are numbered. Then you'll see a big 2, right? And that's chapter 2, verse 11, okay? Is everybody, if you're there, say, I'm there. 1 Peter 2, 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... 
to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Pause. What do sinful desires wage war against? Your soul, like your, your inner person, your soul, your spiritual life as well. That's what sinful desires wage war against. Again, Peter writes this book of 1 Peter specifically to Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman provinces. And a lot of them are living in this context, which is very ungodly. They're living in a pagan, ungodly culture and context, not much different than today. And he's giving this word as a word of encouragement because they're, they're supposed to live as exiles and foreigners because they're not of there. You know, got, and, then, and then it says, verse 12, look at this. Live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Okay, pause. I don't know what the version you have might say, but it says here, live such good lives. Peter, Peter has a very important word here for us. And as I was reading this, it brought to my memory two things that happened to me uh, recently, right? Last year, I was at my son, baseball's, uh, my son Caleb's baseball game. Uh, any, any parents, proud parents, go to your, their kids' sports games? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was at my son Caleb's baseball game, and I remember, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm one of those parents that I bring my own chair because the bleachers aren't, aren't really comfortable, and sometimes there's not enough. And so I bring my own chair. I'm one of those, right? My chair even has a little thing that comes up and gives me shade. Like, I'm, I'm one of those parents. So, so anyway, I got, I got there a little late. I didn't have a chance to say hi to everybody. I just kind of got kind of in the front, you know, up against the fence. You know, I got my position. I'm like, all right, let's go. Woo, let's do this. And then I, in a moment of excitement, when my son was going at the back, I stood up. I stood up, and I was kind of for a while. You know, I was taking a video, and I stood up. And then one of, one of the other parents, who's a friend, one of the other uh, fathers, he screamed out, you make a better door than a window. <laughs> Have you ever heard that saying? You make a better door than a window. And I didn't pay attention. Uh, and it's funny because there's another guy uh, who, who he's, he's of Mexican descent. And he said in Spanish, carne de burro no es transparente. <laughs> so in, in English, that saying, it's funnier in Spanish. It, it, it says, donkey flesh isn't see-through. So for those of you who don't understand, I was, and then I got it. And then I started laughing. And then some popcorn came and hit me in the head because I was standing up in front of them. So when that person said, hey, you make a better door than a window, what they're trying to say is, you're in the way. Get out the way. You're not a window. I can't see through you. You're a door. You're in the way. And in Spanish, donkey flesh isn't see-through. In other words, sit down, donkey, right? I can't see through you. Because what happened is I was, I was blocking their view. I had become an obstacle between where they were and maybe what they wanted to see or connect with. Are you with me? So Peter is saying in this verse, hey, the way you live your lives, it will either point people up to God or it'll get in the way of them seeing him. Can we just say amen and go home? And pray for the heat, yeah? There's more praying happening in Boston than Miami right now. 21 day fast here or something. All right, back to back, let's get back. I'm here today to encourage all of you who are Christians, don't get in the way. I'm here to encourage you who are like me and have some family members who don't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus, get out of the way. I'm here to encourage you who have coworkers, colleagues, neighbors, students, you have classmates who really don't know Jesus yet. It sounds like the Holy Spirit is saying, you make a better door than a window. Hey, Donkey flesh isn't see-through. Because 
sometimes the way we're living as Christians isn't helping. It can hurt. Let me explain what I mean. The number one accusation of Christians by people who are non-Christians, the number one accusation, I'm not saying that it's always right, but the number one accusation is that those people are hypocrites. Has anybody ever heard that from a friend or a family member or someone who's not a believer who says, oh, you Christians are hypocrites. Even though this is not true. By the way, that's called generalizing or stereotyping. And no, nobody really appreciates that. I remember growing up, uh, you know, I would tell friends here, you know, here, I was born here in, in Florida. And I remember, oh, my family's from Colombia. And then people would be like, ooh, Colombia, drugs, you have drugs, right? And that is such a horrible general. Any Colombians understand what I'm saying? That's a horrible generalization. Assuming that every Colombian does drugs or has drugs or sells drugs, right? That is, that's because of a small percentage of a bad example. When you generalize, you, you attribute that to everybody. We do this with countries. We do this with people from this uh, culture, from this. And so same thing, even pastors, for example, you know, one pastor falls, it's blasted on all the news, but the other 999 that are faithful to their wives, that are good fathers, that are doing well in the churches, those aren't, those aren't commended on the news for what they're doing right. And then because of that one, the people who are outside and say, they're all hypocrites. Do you see that mistake? Because we might have fallen in that mistake. And so even though it's not true of every Christian, every time that they're hypocrites, this does become a barrier of entry for many non-believers when we get in the way. How do we get in the way, Pastor Virgil? Well, people say this. They say Christians are hypocrites. The question is, why do they say that? What they're referring to is how some Christians' lives don't seem to match their beliefs. Are you with me? The reason this is said is because some Christians' walk doesn't match their talk. Some, some Christians, Sunday, amen, hallelujah, glory, doesn't match Fridays. Beep, 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 beep. My beep. Are you with me? Some Christians, what they say doesn't match up with what they do. They follow some beliefs, but not others. So what, what they're saying is, Things aren't adding up. And what are, they, what are they looking at? They're looking at our relationships. They're looking at our reactions. They're listening to our words. They're checking out our character. They're observing our public life, how we treat others, how you talk to others. Are you respectful or you chime in with the gossip? They're paying attention to their social media. They're... they're they're observing, they're listening, they're seeing what you find funny and what you laugh at. They're seeing if you're honest or if you're shady. And so here's the interesting question, and I'm doing this just for self-assessment, and I look in the mirror as I ask it, if someone accused you of being a hypocrite as a Christian, what would they be accusing you of? For you, would it be the things you're consuming? the places you're frequenting, the company you're keeping, the way you treat your spouse, the way you talk back to your parents, the fact that you cheated on the test like everybody else, or the fact that you take the high road, that you don't get involved in those conversations. Do you see what I'm saying? This is important because you and I if we're Christian, with our lives, 
we can either open a way and point people to God or we're just getting in the way. The other example I thought of was driving on the highway on I-75 months ago and one of the exits was closed. It had blockades, barricades. Has that ever happened? Like you're driving and then it's blocked and you can't get off the exit and then you have to keep going but you, you miss the exit because there's an obstacle. And, and I feel like Peter's telling us sometimes, Christian, the way you're living is a barricade blocking people from getting off the right ramp. And that's why it matters how we live. That's what we're going to talk about integrity. So the question is, come, come on, come on, tell the person next to you, don't get in the way. Tell them, don't get in the way. Now tell the other person on the other side, donkey flesh ain't transparent. Tell them. <laughs> First Peter 1.15. This is a tough verse. Get ready. First Peter 1.15. Are you there? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy cow. It doesn't say that. I'm just responding to the verse. Wow. Really? Is this verse even possible? Be holy as God is holy. Can we agree this is a high calling? Let's start off with this declaration up here or this statement. As Christians who have placed our faith in Jesus, you and I are called to be holy. How am I supposed to be holy like God is holy? (laughs) God calls us to be holy. In fact, it's funny because in a lot of Paul's writings in the New Testament, he actually calls us believers saints. Have you noticed that in the word? We the saints, the followers of Jesus. And the word holy and the word saint are highly connected. It literally comes from the same root in the original writings. And maybe you're thinking, I don't think I could be holy, pastor, because, I mean, look what I've done. I think a lot of us might think that or say that. I've lied, I've lusted, I've been to those places, I've done those things, I'm divorced, I've done this, I've done that, all these things that have brought guilt or shame at different moments of my life and and all this, there's, there's no way I could be holy and I'm here to remind you today, here's a very important statement that some of you might need to hear today. You are not holy based on what you do, you are holy based on what Christ has done. This is a very important doctrinal truth from the word. You are not holy because of what you do. You are holy based on what Christ has done. And you might say, you know what, Pastor, I can't even control, I can't control my temper. I can't control my impulses. I can't even control my kids. How can I be holy? And I'm here to tell you it's because that's what he declares you to be. When you receive Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you, this is what he declares about you. Now check it out. It's not about your effort to do and become. It's about what Christ has already done. So 1 Peter, remember, is a roadmap for how Christians who are facing opposition should live their lives to not only survive, but actually thrive. And so this is the big question today is how can we be holy? I'm here to tell you, you can be holy. Holy, you can actually live up to this calling that God has given you, but let's clarify something. Can we clarify something? Come on, tell the person, say, open up, open up your ears, open up your ears. Let me clarify something because some of us have gotten this mixed up at some points. Sometimes people believe that you have to be holy in order to get to heaven. Absolutely not. You get to heaven because of what Jesus did for you. 
In other words, in other words, it's not because, oh, look how good I am and look at all the good things that I did. Now I, now I earned it. That's a big mistake, which a lot, it's a trap that a lot of us have fallen into, whether, whether it's what was taught to us or what we've come to believe. The only reason heaven is a possibility for us is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us if we've received it and accepted it and embraced it. Now check this out. The reason you're holy is not so you can get to heaven. The reason you're holy, the reason you're holy is actually a result of being saved, and it's to help others clear the way so others can see it through your life. My life. So why am I holy? It's not even about me. It's because people are watching. And unfortunately, sometimes our lives, we make a better door than a window. And even though, according to Peter, many in the world may hate us because we love Jesus, we're called to love them. One of the ways we love them back is by living in alignment with what the word of God says about us. I want to start with this next statement. I want to continue with this next simple statement. Holiness is received before it is achieved. There's two steps to holiness. First step, Jesus declares you holy as his child. And the second step is you begin to live up to this declaration. Let's read it again. 1 Peter 1.15, you have the Bible there? If it's your Bible, feel free to highlight, underline, circle. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in what? All you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is actually a quote, quote from the book of Leviticus where it is written four times. God says, I chose you to be my people, now live up to the calling that I've made of you. So we are not holy because of what we do, but because of what was done. Look at verse 18. Are you with me? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Thank you, ancestors, for handing us down an empty way of life. But we won't do the same for our future generations. 19, but with the precious Blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, making that reference to the Passover lamb that Jesus is for our lives. Many times, I don't know if it happens to you, but I realize as I look at my own life that I want to live out this declaration of being holy, but I, I feel sometimes like I'm not capable of doing it. Because sometimes, and you ever feel kind of low on the integrity bar? <laughs> you ever feel like, man, I'm a little lower than I should be on this integrity and holiness meter? And I realized how much I need Jesus because the truth is you and I cannot do it on our own. And here's an interesting fact about Christianity. I'll, I'll, I'll read this out. Christianity is the only system in the history of the world where the verdict precedes the action. In other words, you are declared holy long before you actually live a holy life. And that's hard for us because when God says you are holy, we're like, me? me? I, because when he says that about me, I know who I am. And a lot of times, my identification is still with Adam instead of with Christ. This is where we really need to understand our identification. How do we know God? It's identity, intimacy, integrity. We talked about that recently, right? And this is part of knowing God. So, so let's do this, because a lot of us, we have a hard time with the word holy. Because when we think holy, we think like, you know, halo and, and, and wings, right? When you hear holy, think integrity. It's a little bit easier to identify with integrity. Would you agree? I think the reason why it's tricky is because a lot of us, you know, just like holy and saint, like really, like me. 
Even when we look at each other, like her, <laughs> him, and, and the Lord says, yeah. This word integrity is very connected to the word holy. In fact, when you look at the root of integrity, you find the word integrate. Why? Because when you live with integrity, you are integrating what you say you believe with the behavior and how you live it out. You integrate it. You see that? Integrity also comes from integral, a whole number or a whole thing. So I am whole. I am who I am here at church on Sunday, and it's the same person who I am on Friday and Saturday. I'm not divided. I'm not scattered. I am integral. There is integrity. And so that's connected to holiness. Everybody say holiness. Holiness to be set apart and separate, selected for a special reason. Did you know that? You are holy. You're called holy by God. Set, set apart, selected to be separate from everything else, specifically for God's purposes. Did you know that? If you think about your life and even home, I was thinking about this. I, there's something in my home that is holy, but not, you know, in a different way, but I think the example makes sense. Uh, my toothbrush. My toothbrush. You want to know why my toothbrush is holy? Because it is set apart and separated for one purpose. Are you with me? Why is it set apart? Because nobody else uses my toothbrush. I am the sole owner of it. At least I hope. <laughs> and you know what it's used for? My toothbrush? For brushing my teeth. I don't take advantage and be like, oh, my toenails are kind of dirty. I don't, <laughs> I don't scrub the grout in the shower, right, with it, right? Right, because it is set apart. It is separate and set apart for a specific person, and it belongs to me. And God is telling you and me that we belong to him, and we are set apart and selected for him, for his purposes. And his purposes are good. His will is good. It's pleasing, and it's perfect. So let us not lend ourselves to do other things and live other ways that are not in line with his purposes, which are holy and set apart for us. God says, you are mine. I've set you apart. That's why you live different than your other friends. That's why you live different than some of your other family because they have not yet come to know me. But by the way, if, if, if you get out the way and you point the way, you might help them by the way you live. Integrity. Here's, a, here's an important point. When we, when we talk about integrity and living in integrated lives, the biggest barrier to integrity is not what you believe about God, but what you believe about yourself. And this is important. Peter understands that this is a battle for your mind because here's the reality in our lives. There are so many voices fighting for our attention. There are internal voices sometimes telling me I'm not righteous, I'm not worthy, especially in light of, of the fact that we have sins or transgressions, ways that we mess up. But God's declaration has said, I've forgiven you for all of that, if you've received his forgiveness. And Peter describes this battle in verse 13. Look what he says. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter's saying, if you're going to run spiritually this life, you have to be prepared in your mind it says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Verse 14, as obedient children, 
do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Pause. It, it says had because remember what happens when you come to faith in Jesus? You are born again. Other versions say you are reborn. It's not physical. It's not emotional. It's a spiritual rebirth. So what happens? The way I used to live is not how I continue to live. Who I was is no longer who I am. My identity is not in my past mistakes. It's not in my past mess ups. It's not in my past problems. My identity is in my calling to be a son of God. And he has called me to be holy, set apart, separate, chosen for his purposes. And that's why the way I live matters. My holiness is not to get saved. Getting saved is only because of what Jesus did. But when I live a holy life, it's fruit and evidence that I am, and it helps point others in the right direction. And that's why it's important. How you live is also connected to who you're living with, who you're living around. You know, the Bible talks a lot about conforming, and that's why it says in verse 14, as obedient children do not conform, you know, we tend to conform to those closest to us. So if you hang out with people who are liars, guess what you will become over time? If you, if you hang with cheaters, guess what you are? You, you are slowly becoming a cheater. If you hang people with, with people who are righteous, you are going to become more righteous. You know, you know birds of a, of a feather flock together. <laughs> tell me who you hang with, I'll tell you your future. And this matters a lot. That's why we talk a lot about life groups here at Vertical Church because our, our vertical connection with God, that's the most important. That, that vertical connection is what feeds everything else. But then the horizontal connections, those are really important too. So, so a lot of times there's Christians who come to faith in Jesus and they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and they're saved, but they keep dragging a lot of junk because they're hanging with the wrong people. So, so they've, been, they've been reborn, but a lot of the people that they're still hanging with haven't been born again. Now, the beautiful thing is when that begins to become contagious and you become reborn and then other people begin to be reborn because of what they see in you. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. And then a Christian believer keeps hanging with the wrong people and, they, and they, they, they're not fully transformed. They just continue to conform. Are, are you seeing me? And then, and then this also brings confusion to those people because they're like, oh, if that's what it is to be a Christian, you're doing all the same things we do. And so it becomes a challenge. So instead of being an open door, clear for where you want people to go. Sometimes we get in the way and the Holy Spirit's saying, get out the way. Live with integrity. Live with integrity. A lot of times we tend to agree with the wrong voices and we attach to the wrong declarations in our lives. We talk about this in one of our life groups that we call freedom where we talk about victory over sin, healing for wounds, and a spiritual authority over the, over the enemy. And here's the problem in, in our lives is over time sometimes, declarations and words are spoken. Did you know Proverbs 18 says that there is power in the tongue of life and death? Yeah. And, may, and, and that works for both, for good and for bad. Maybe somebody told you when you were young, you are an excellent student. You are so bright and so intelligent. And guess what? You believed it, and you began to really be an excelling good student. Praise God for that. But a lot of us were also in environments and situations where words of death were spoken, words that weren't from God. And what happened is, unfortunately, sometimes we let those words adhere. And sometimes we come into agreement with the wrong declarations. For example, you're a mistake. You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. You're skinny. You got big ears. You're worthless. 
I wish you, I wish you never would have been born. All these things that we try on the outside and say, oh, I don't matter, I don't care. But ultimately, that's what the enemy uses sometimes, and they attach to us. And unfortunately, the way we're living is connected to the wrong declarations over our lives. And we haven't begun to understand who we truly are because we're still attached to the words that were spoken over us. The enemy uses this as a strategy against us many times. So I'm, I'm encouraging you today, don't align yourself with the wrong voices. Align yourself with the only voice that matters. A lot of times, we're stuck because of our past mistakes. And let, let me give you this statement. There's good news, and here's the good news. If someone in this world caused your past behavior, then someone out of this world can determine your future behavior. And that someone is Jesus. You don't have to keep living according to your past mistakes. We see this example specifically in Peter. Who wrote first Peter? Peter, years after his experiences and walk with Jesus. Let, let, me, let me take you back, right? Peter, early on, right? Or earlier on before he really kind of officially started following Jesus. Anybody know what Peter did for a living, what his job was? He was a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman. He was a pretty good fisherman, by the way. And one night, it says that he was out fishing literally all night like all the right hours, right places, and he got nothing. Like it was such a bad day for fishing and all, all, of, the, all of the aspects just didn't work out. It's probably early in the morning as he's coming back in, as he's kind of coming ashore. And then Jesus, who he knew of him, but wasn't yet a follower of him. Jesus says, hey, Peter, Simon, Simon, can I use your boat? Can I preach from your boat? I want to do something cool. Jesus, Jesus was creative. And, and so... So Simon's like, okay, sure, go ahead. And then, and then Jesus, you know, goes on to, to teach and preach. It doesn't say specifically what he taught about. I imagine it was probably good. Uh, but, then, but then he says, hey, Peter, let's do something. Let's take the boat out and throw out the nets. To which Peter, who was a professional fisherman, had just been out. And he knew from his years of experience, this didn't make sense. In his, like in his head, he was probably hey, Jesus, you're like a good teacher. Stick to teaching. Leave the fishing to me. It is, it is neither the time, the place. There's nothing. But the Bible records that Peter said, because you say so, I will. Right? And then, and then like, if, if Jesus over here, he turns around, and his brother Andrew's probably there. He's like, oh, just go out. Just go out. Just go, go. Just, just, just make him happy. Go ahead, throw it out. Throw out the nets. We, we know the story, Right? I don't know if you watched that episode of The Chosen. And, and, and Peter, you know, he's probably like, oh, go ahead, throw it out, Andrew, and they throw out the nets, whatever. I don't know. I, it doesn't say how long it I don't know how long it took. I mean, it would be funny if it was right away. I don't know how long it took. But all of a sudden, there was maybe like a tug or something, and Peter looks at Andrew and be like, you're playing with me, right? No, there's something on. And then, and then you know, the story. This was, this was the miraculous catch. And about that moment, their arms are bulging. Their eyes are bulging. This is more fish than they've ever seen. He has the call. John, James, bring the boat. They fill these boats. They're filling these boats. I can imagine the scene, probably with fish up to his waist. And Simon says to Jesus, he, he takes a moment. You would think that he would be singing, dancing, and celebrating. And he says to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So Peter in that moment fell into what he thought of himself based on what others had spoken over him, based on the fact that he didn't even have enough faith to believe. And, and, and he basically says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm messed up. I'm unworthy. You don't want to be around me. 
to which we know Jesus said, I am not leaving you. In fact, I'm calling you to follow me and I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. Fast forward two years in Peter's life. He's already following Jesus. They're in this remote area with all the disciples. And Jesus asks all of his disciples, everybody else is gone, it's just him and his disciples. And he asks them specifically, who do people say that I am? So the disciples start to chime in. Oh, well, some say that you're this, and some say that you're so-and-so, and some say that you're so-and-so. And then Jesus stops and says, who do you say I am? And, and here's Peter in one of his moments of brilliance, right? How many know Peter had both? He had moments of brilliance and moments of non-brilliance, just like all of us. And in this moment of brilliance, Peter, Simon responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. By the way, that's known as the great confession. Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And right then, when Peter declared who Jesus was, Jesus declared who he was because he said, Simon, I'm going to call you rock. Petro, that's when he, Peter which means rock, you are so strong now that I'm gonna build, your ch- build my church on this faith. And when you declare Jesus as Lord, he's gonna take you and he's gonna make a declaration about you. So that's why I have this point. When we confess Jesus as Lord, we must allow his confession of us to reshape our identity. And from this moment, Peter began to understand who he was, not based on who, what he did wrong in the past, not based on his mistakes, and not based on other people's opinions about him. He began to step into the calling that God had on him because Jesus saw the potential in him way before he saw it in, him, in himself. And he wasn't yet holy, but Jesus called him, I'm calling you to be set apart because it is received before it is achieved And until Jesus' voice is the preeminent voice in your head, you're still going to conform to the lower voices that might be bouncing around in your head. So instead of living down to those voices, let's live up to the calling of the one who knows us, who created us, and who has set us apart and called us holy. Because in, in fact, he is the only one who should determine who you actually are. My identity is not in Adam, my sinful nature of the past. My identity is in Christ, the second Adam, My identity is not in my mistakes from the past. My identity is in Christ. Here's a good statement. Your past problems don't determine your future potential. And I want to remind that you today, because Peter did not think he was going to be anybody, but here we are talking about him and reading what he wrote. And you might think, who am I? Same thing Peter said, who am I? I'm an impulsive, rash, messed up fisherman with character issues and flaws and all kinds of things. And Jesus says, perfect. I want you. And you might be here, hey, I've, I, I'm lustful, I lie, I've messed up here, I've messed up there. And Jesus says, perfect, I'm calling you to be holy. Accept me, receive me in faith, walk, I have a higher calling for your life. The problem is when you and I don't see it in our, problem is, is not God. We see it in God, we know who he is, we have no question about that. The problem is we don't see it in us. And so what happens is we don't live up to the calling because we don't see it in us. And then what happens is that, that that's a life lacking in integrity And instead of opening the door for people to see Jesus, we get in the way. We get in the way. And the Holy Spirit whispers, get out of the way. Live up to your calling. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. How do we do this? He wrote, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, 
hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. (laughs) Can you guys imagine if all of us as Christians actually did this? Can you imagine if as a church, all of us took some steps (laughs) in ridding ourselves of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and of every kind? You know what that's going to do? That's going to bring those barriers down really low so people can get, they they can see. They can, they can, okay, I can, I can see now. We need to receive this declaration. And then it says in 1 Peter 2, 4. But by the way, then it talks about that, you know, as, as babies, as spiritual babies, drink milk and crave milk because you got to grow. you got to take steps. In, in, in the, and then it says in verse 4, as you come to him, as you what? As you come to the Lord, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Notice the phrase at the beginning, as you come to him. Check it out. You don't have to clean yourself first, clean yourself up first, and then come to God. You just have to come to God, and he'll take care of cleaning you up. Honestly, I don't think anybody can be clean until you come to Jesus. And it is his declaration of you that will empower you to live the authentic life of integrity, which he's called. Do you see why Peter's writing this? And our situation today is not different than their situation in those times. They were living in an ungodly pagan culture that was anti-God, anti-Bible, not very different than today. Let, let me close off with four important declarations, and we're going to take it right here from the text in 1 Peter 2. Is anybody with me still? Or is your mind already in La Granja menu? <laughs> Don't hit send yet. Don't hit yet. Wait. Four important declarations. Number one, number one, I am strong, a living stone that is valuable and meaningful. Can you guys say, I am strong with me? One, two, three. I am strong. I'm strong. I'm not weak. You are not weak. You are not a loser. You are strong, a living stone that is valuable and meaningful. Where do you get that from? Look at verse five, first Peter two, verse five. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's what tends to happen. Anybody who receives a declaration like this, I am strong, I am part of a spiritual house of God. What's gonna happen is, even, even when you walk out of here today, you're gonna get a text, somebody's gonna say something, somebody's gonna reject you, somebody's gonna offend you, and you're immediately gonna think, I'm, not, I'm no good, I'm messed up, because that's, that's the strategy of the enemy attacking you to not live up to the calling that you have. Even as Christians, as Christians, we need to understand that people will be rejecting us, especially because we're followers of Jesus. But people rejecting us for following Jesus doesn't determine our identity because it didn't determine Jesus' identity. Did you know that Jesus was rejected? You know, Jesus, the Son of God, was rejected. So who are we to think that we won't get rejected for following Jesus? Look at verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Another version says the capstone. It's the most important stone. Now, this is a powerful passage cited out of Psalm 118, and it's also cited six times in the New Testament, and it's extremely important for us to understand that if Jesus was rejected, we can expect to receive rejection in this world as well. Now, check it out. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, question, what's built on the cornerstone according to this verse? The house or the temple of God. What's the temple of God for? The temple of God was a place where people could meet God. We don't have a physical temple 
the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD. And since that time, the people of God, not a physical place, the people of God have been called living stones of the temple of God. Why? So the people can know God through us. People no longer have to go to a physical temple to know God because they can come to us as Christians who are living stones of the temple of God who carry his presence and his spirit. And now I don't have to be a door blocking their view. I can be a window open up so they can see who God is through the way I live my life. It's a life of integrity. Do you see it? Do you see why it's important to live a life of integrity? Do you see why it matters that your Saturday and Sun, your Saturday matches your Sunday, that your Friday matches your Thursday? Because it might not matter to you, but it matters for the destiny of a lot of other people. And I can't. I, and I hear the voice of Hispanic people saying, "Carne de burro no es transparente." You make a better door than a window. Donkey flesh ain't see-through. And sometimes I need to just accept and embrace the calling. I am strong. Secondly, I am holy. A part of God's temple that is universal and eternal. And you might think, I'm not a big deal. And God's sitting here saying, you are a big deal. Because you are my child. You are set apart. You are holy. Set apart for my purposes. You and I are living stones. And together we are living stones of God's temple. Together we're better. Together we're stronger. And we're not alone That's why we emphasize the importance of being part of a church family and the importance of connecting to small life groups and to connecting with other believers. We are individually strong, but together we're even stronger. We are holy. We are set apart to be God's living stones. Third, I am chosen. I am chosen. A royal priest in a holy nation. Can you say, I am chosen with me? One, two, three. I am chosen. I am chosen. Look at verse nine. First Peter two, nine. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is an unbelievable statement here. It says a royal priesthood. He's combining terms of kingship with terms of priesthood. You know, back in the Old Testament, a king could not be a priest and a priest could not be a king. Why? Originally, God wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests. He didn't want there to be a class or a set of these people are priests. He didn't want people to have to go to a priest in order to have a connection with God the Father. That's not, that wasn't his plan. That wasn't his idea. He wanted every person to have equal access to God himself. And they couldn't then, but we can now. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross at Calvary and because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that was given to us. We don't need a priest or somebody to be an intermediate. We have direct access with God the Father. Do you know who you are? You are not only a priest that can help people get to heaven, you are, a, you are royalty that can bring heaven down to earth. And this is part of our calling, to be royal priesthood. So there's part of our responsibility that is to point people here to heaven. But then there's another part of integrity where we can bring heaven down now. And that's a powerful thing. That's why we can rejoice in the fact that God uses us. You know, you know that together, last year, 
we gave over $230,000 out to local missions, national missions, global missions, and all kinds of worthy causes in the name of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus. We did that together from feeding people that are hungry to spiritually empowering people to planting new churches to supporting existing churches to push the kingdom forward. Do you know that we're spending thousands of dollars on this mission trip to bless people in another country because we love, because we care, because we serve, because it's born in, it's in us to be like our Father who is generous and loving. Do you know that through all the efforts that we do locally, nationally, and globally, together we're making a bigger difference, a bigger splash? Why? Because we're called. The, the calling is not just, oh, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Praise God, that's it. No, it's, yeah, that's, that's a great, great part. But God wants to do some stuff with us while we're here. And so one thing is eternal life for then, and one thing is abundant life for now. One, one, one thing is I'm living a holy life as a result of the fact that I'm saved, but also to help other people get saved. So that's why it matters how I live. Because the, pro the biggest problem with Christianity is people, this, this is from an old DC talk song, right? People who acknowledge Jesus by their lips but reject him by their lifestyle. That's almost worse. That's why Jesus says, hey, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but lukewarm with one foot and one foot, mm, especially if you're a man, be careful. You're gonna hurt. And that's, that's, the life, that's the consequences. And so sometimes it's even worse. It's even worse when it's praise God, hallelujah, but I'm going to keep living my way. Because, not because God doesn't love you, or even because you're not saved, but you're in the way. And a lot of people are going to miss the exit. Because what you're living is not what they're wanting. And I think this is a big, a big factor for us come together and understand last statement last declaration I am included a citizen of God's kingdom redeemed by Christ's blood look at verse 10 once you were not even a people but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy man there are so many declarations and voices competing for our attention and our agreement we must not agree in align with the voices in the world or of the enemy. We must listen to the voice of our Heavenly Father who has declared us to be strong, holy, chosen, and included. you got to receive it before you achieve it. It's hard to ignore all the voices, and it's hard to silence them. But we can drown them out by turning up the volume to what God says of us. So, so practically, what can I do, Pastor? Practically, can I tell you what to do practically? Number one, consume His Word. Consume his word, which means read it, listen to it, learn it, take it in, absorb it, consume it. Like the word of God is so crucial to a Christian. Like, <laughs> like what would you say to a pilot who's never flown? You know what I'm saying? Like, like what would you say to a physical trainer who's never trained physically. So, what do you say about a Christian who doesn't read the word? And so it's very, it's very, it's not even very difficult. It's impossible to live out your calling without reading his word, without taking it in. And for some of us, it's a challenge because we didn't grow up in an environment where we read the word. I'm not a reader. So start it, start. <laughs> Read, listen, take it in, absorb it, consume it. Second, first consume it. Second, believe it. 
believe the word, but you're not gonna believe it if you don't consume it. Believe it, which means agree with it, embrace it, take it in, believe it, declare it. Third, declare. One, consume. Two, believe. Three, declare your identity based on God's word. I, I want to I do something real quick all together. I'm going to put this declaration up on the screen, and I want us to read it together. Just a declaration of, a, of what we just talked about from 1 Peter chapter 2. It says on the top there, declare your identity. And I want us to read together nice and kind of steady where it says, I am strong. You guys ready? One, two, three. I am strong like a stone, part of God's holy temple. I am chosen as royal priest included in God's kingdom. I live my life reflecting this reality. Can I get an amen? We are God's children, strong, holy, chosen, included. The reason it matters is because you will either point people to God through your life of integrity or you will be an obstacle blocking the off-ramp for many turning them off and away because they're not seeing in your actions and your lifestyle what you're saying you believe. And so I want to encourage you today to actually care about that. As if the Lord is saying, hey, get out the way. Live for me. I've called you to be holy, set apart, a life of integrity. I want to pray two prayers. First one's for everybody. And then I'll pause and then we'll take an opportunity to maybe invite a few to say a prayer of faith. Maybe it's your day to give your life to Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you, we come before you today specifically thanking you for speaking to our hearts. Your word is truth and the truth sets us free. And I pray today that because of your truth, our lives would be better. I pray that the good seeds of your word have landed on fertile soil in every heart in this place. We specifically Specifically, Lord, pray and ask for integrity. We want to live integrous life, lives. We recognize today, Lord, that you have called us to be holy as you are holy, and that is a high calling. But, Lord, today we embrace the fact that we were called by you to be set apart, separated for your purposes. I pray, Lord, that we would understand that we are not holy in order to try to be saved. We are holy to help other people get saved. And Lord, I pray that we would realize that it's not about what we do, it's about what you've already done. And for so many of us who have a hard time seeing it in ourselves, I pray that you would help us see us as you have called us to be, just like you did with Peter, who initially just felt unworthy, but eventually stood up and rose up to the calling you had on his life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us understand that holiness and integrity, that these things are what draw other people to you. And so we say it today, Lord, that we are strong, we are holy, we are chosen, and we are included as part of your people to make a difference in this world. Help us understand it, help us embrace it and believe it, and help us walk in line with it. You've declared it. We believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. 
And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.